fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Forget him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. So fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? But you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. Hey, Pat and Dennis, I don't, I don't know if I told you guys, I, I got a f- call from an old friend, and we used to be real close, and he said he couldn't go on the American way. So closed the shop, sold the house, bought a ticket to the West Coast. Now he gives him a stand-up routine in L.A. But I, I don't need you guys to worry for me because I'm all right, and I want you to tell me it's time to come home. That's probably not the right my life, right? <laughs> I was honestly, John, when you were saying that, I'm like, oh, crud, did I fall asleep in this movie? I thought yeah, I stayed you, awake. Did no, I miss you, something? Is there, I, okay, I can just about so guarantee you fell asleep during this movie. No, no, I, no? Can, I, 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 okay. I can guarantee I did not fall asleep during this movie. Wow. This is the one. <laughs> yeah, this is the one. <laughs> All right. Well, as you can hear, I got I got Pat and I got Dennis with me. How's it going? How's it going? Hey, all. Hey, all. Hey, everybody. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, so we'll we'll get going with this. So uh, real quick, we spoil freely. So this is pretty much your only warning. Make sure you vid- visit our website, thirty podcastcom where you can leave a rating, a voicemail. You could become a co-executive producer on Patreon over there with a bunch of bonus content, and as well. Very, very soon, we're going to be recording our 500th episode, so we would love it if you would send wow. us some you know, memories you have. If you've been listening to our show for years, we've been going for, gosh, what is it now, eight, almost eight years? I think we're coming up on, if we haven't passed eight years, we're almost eight years. So if you've been listening for a while or even just a short time, if you've got some memories of listening to the show, you know, in favorite moments, maybe as you were on your morning commute or as most of our listeners do while they're mowing their lawns, including our celebrity listeners who tend to do that week in and week out during lawn mowing season. You know, if you have a favorite episode, if you have a favorite movie that we've covered, any of that stuff, we'd love to hear from you. So feel free to send that in if you're going to do it on social media. You can use the hashtag 30pod500 is the one you can use on social media. You can also give us a call and leave a voicemail. There is a voicemail button. If you go to our website, there's a little microphone button, and you can record a voicemail right there. Or you can email stuff to 30podcast at gmail.com. So we would love to hear from you. We're going to be recording that probably within the next, I'd say probably within the next three to four weeks or so. So you got a little bit of time to get those in. And the show most likely will air later in either November or December. So that'll give us some time to edit stuff together and, and throw all that together for you. So, yeah, you got about maybe two or three more weeks to get some of that stuff in before we get to our recording time. So if you've got any of that, we would love to hear from you. Send it our way, and we'll include it. We do have, this is the first episode of the month of August. So before we jump into this movie, I do have a couple of quick things for us. So let's jump into the DeLorean and head back to August of 1992. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour... 
So I happened to be watching some clips online the other day, and it came across a clip from the show Taxi, Christopher Lloyd. Did you guys ever watch that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, just, I love all of his scenes. Like, I don't know that I've ever really, I don't know that I've actually sat and watched an entire episode from beginning to end, but I just, anytime I come across a scene where he's in it for more than a couple minutes, you know, I'll just, I'll sit and stay there for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I love most of his scenes where he's just kind of playing it off as, as stupid. It's like somebody's asked him questions like he, he's taking somebody on a date to a French restaurant. Have you seen that one or not? And and she's like, wow, I didn't know you spoke French. He's like, no, I just learned to say what I needed to say to order the food. She's like, wow, you did that for me? Yeah, what was really tough was finding a restaurant that had that exact stuff. <laughs> but no, I, I love his character in that show. All right. Well, some top news from August of 92. Uh, August 4th, the negotiations to enact NAFTA the North American Free Trade Agreement, were concluded. There were massive... NAFTA. What's that? I said NAFTA. NAFTA. There John, were... I'm just going to ask, yeah. we are talking about August of 93. I'm sorry. Did I, I said 92, didn't I? You, you did. did. Just, just I making went, sure. I went yeah, too I far back in time. I went too far back in time. No, yeah. no. Hey, man. So this is, we're here to bring you forward. Everything I'm telling you is 93. I just kept saying 92. Okay, no worries. It's all... So, yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm still jet lagged from my one hour time difference on the trip to Boston that was now a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. That's my excuse. Uh, in August of 93, there were massive floods in the Midwest in the United States. Mostly, I remember it mostly in Missouri. It does say here that, you know, some of Illinois was affected as well. But I just remember that we had a lot of relatives in Missouri. It was it was pretty rough time along the Mississippi and particularly in, in Missouri and some of the other especially in some of the lower-lying areas in the Ozarks and, and whatnot. I remember a lot of stuff was, was pretty well messed up there. Mm-hmm. There was a Apparently there was a 7.8-magnitude earthquake in Guam that caused Ooh. significant damage on August 8th of 93. And then we had the launch of the Space Shuttle Discovery, launched on August 12th of 93. Okay. We have some famous people that were born on August 7th. Liam James. He's a Canadian actor known for his roles in the movie The Way, Way Back and the TV show Psych. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Kiki Palmer was an American actress, singer, and TV personality. Had her breakout role in the movie Aquila and the Bee. So if you're a huge fan of The Spelling Bee, that is a good movie. That one and Bad Words, although those are two very different movies. Yes. Yeah. I have seen Aquila and the Bee. That one's a good one. It's a good one. Really good one. I think I actually own it. I think it's on the shelf behind me here. And then August 30th, Richard Jordan, actually this was a death in August of 93. Richard Jordan was an American stage, screen, and television actor in the 60s all the way to the 90s. He was in movies such as Logan's Run, Hunt for Red October, and The Secret of My Success. Sports news, August 26th, the NFL announced that there would be two expansion teams starting in 1995, and that would be the Carolina Panthers and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay. Top book is still, and I believe it has been for, I don't know, most of this year, The Bridges of Madison County by Robert James Waller. Mm-hmm. Top movie for most of the summer of 93 was Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Top songs for most of the month of August. The top song was Can't Help Falling in Love by UB40. I think mm-hmm. finally in the last week of August, Dream Lover by Mariah Carey took over as the number one song. 
that is what I got for August of 93. So we'll just jump on quick, right on here. Yeah, go quick, ahead. You got quick, quick sporting edition. Do it. Formula One race car driver Damon Hill got his first win in August of 93. Nice. August 15th at the Hungarian Grand Prix. Always trust Pat to bring the Formula One and or race car or motorcycle additions to the sporting news. Bringing it in. That's your expertise. Well, we'll jump on into this one. My Life came out on November 12th, 1993, rated PG-13, at a runtime of 1 hour 57 minutes, directed by Bruce Joel Rubin, also written by Bruce Joel Rubin, who also did Ghost and Jacob's Ladder. Producers for this one were Jerry Zucker, Bruce Joel Rubin, and Hunt Lowry. Collectively, between the three of them, they did A Walk in the Clouds, First Night, Jacob's Ladder, Deep Impact, Donnie Darko, and Last of the Mohicans. Composer for this one was John Barry, who did Dances with Wolves and Out of Africa. Cinematographer was Peter James, who did Meet the Parents and Babe. And editor was Richard Chu, who did Star Wars and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Production company was Columbia Pictures. The budget was $20 million. The box office was $27.5 million. Cinema score gives it an A, and Flickmetrics gives it a 65%. Michael Keaton plays Bob Jones. He was in Batman and Birdman. Nicole Kidman played Gail Jones. She was in Moulin Rouge and The Hours. Bradley Whitford played Paul. He was in Get Out and The West Wing. Queen Latifah played Teresa. She was in Chicago and Bringing Down the House. Michael Constantine, who died in 2011, played Bill Ivanovich. He was in Room 222, the TV series, and a movie called The Hustler. Rebecca Schull played Rose. She was in Wings and the movie United 93. Mark Lowenthal played Danny. He was in Contact and True Lies. Lee Garlington played Carol. He was in Field of Dreams and One Hour Photo. And Hang S. Noor died in 1996, played Mr. Ho. He was in The Keeling Fields and Heaven and Earth. So i got a couple of quick trivia things here. Bruce Joel Rubin originally met Nicole Kidman when she auditioned for the movie Ghost, and she was turned down because the director of that one wanted a bigger-name actress. But Bruce Joel Rubin was very impressed with her audition there so he decided to offer her the role of gail bob so here was kind of an interesting thing with the names bob changes his last name from ivanovich to jones much to his family's dismay and in fact the two names when you break kind of break down the names they're not all that different from each other slavic names are often translated son of and ivanovich means son of ivan which is a variation of the name john making it john's son jones is the welsh form of johnson so there is a little bit of it. If you want to put your, put your thumbtacks in the cork board and follow the string there. Bob, here's kind of a funny one with another movie that I guarantee we'll do in about three years because I enjoy this movie. Bob, played by Michael Keaton, tells his wife, no son of mine is going to be called Zach. He'll get killed at school. Michael Keaton later starred in the movie Multiplicity, which came out in 1996, in which his character has a son named Zach in that movie. Mm. Not killed at school. I think Zach did fine in that movie. And then the other thing that was kind of fun, even though you really don't see, I don't think you really see his face except for maybe a, a little bit more of a, a further away shot and you see his face kind of in profile, but Richard Schiff, who played Toby on the West Wing, was also in this movie. So you've got Richard Schiff and Bradley Whitford were both, mm. both in this movie and both on the West Wing in 99. A quick synopsis, then we're going to run through the major moments of the movie, and then after that we'll dump, jump into our opinions and deep thoughts. So the synopsis. In a battle against time, Michael Keaton is Bob Jones, a man facing his mortality. 
Nicole Kidman is the loving wife in a world turned upside down. The birth of their child is a bittersweet note on the calendar, as Bob does not expect to survive his cancer long enough to see that day. Grab your camcorder and your tissues and get ready for my life. That's the heart. Where? There, you see. Do you want another baby sex? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You have a son. A beautiful, healthy-looking son. Son. Sometimes, life gives us just what we hope for. And sometimes, it doesn't. We got the lab reports back this morning. There's been no reduction in tumor size or density. I'm sorry, Bob, you don't have a lot of time left. I spoke with Robin yesterday about that Chinese healer. Mr. Jones? Look, just so you know, I'm looking for a miracle here, so... You believe in miracles? And well, if this works... The fact is, I'm supposed to be dying. Now the tricky part here is you're about to be born. So I wanted to leave you this videotape so that you know something about me. Music. This is actually a pretty important subject. Your mother is going to be of no help in this area. She will try to fill your head with show tunes. You're going to have South Pacific coming out your nostrils. There are basically two schools of shaving, okay? Down, like that, or up, like that. Never, I repeat, never sideways like that. We're losing ground, Bob. I can't recommend further treatment. <laughs> I'm still in the game here, man. Life is trying to teach you. But you don't listen. You think you can take away my hope like that? That's all I have. You hold too much anger inside. It kicks, it moves, it feels. It's your child. Love us. Don't let me die again. Kid, wife. So I have taken the plot of this one. If you haven't seen this one or haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it, we always recommend that you pause now, go watch the movie, and then come on back. If you have seen it, it's been a little while, you just need a, a quick walkthrough of what the plot is. We've broken it down into about 10 major moments that should give you a quick fly-through of the plot of this one. So I'll run through those 10 major moments real quick, and then we'll get on into kind of our thoughts and opinions on the movie. So major moments for this one. Number one, one of the first scenes of the movie, a little childhood disappointment. Young Bob Ivanovich prays for a circus to be erected in his backyard and basically tells his entire class that, yep, you're all invited. Everybody's all invited. Here's the address. Here's the time. Just make sure you're there and, and let everybody know there's going to be a circus and that's going to be awesome. And the next day, no circus. And basically he's disappointed and I think, I think, 
to a certain degree, disappointed in God that God did not answer his prayer to give him a circus, but he also probably didn't make too many friends that day from all of his classmates who showed up expecting a circus. Moment number two, family tension. After shunning his parents and their traditions, Bob moves away from his family in Detroit, and decades later, he is running a successful PR firm in Los Angeles, happily married to Gail. You know, we know at this point that they are going to be having a child fairly soon, but major moment number three, and we already kind of know this from uh, an earlier scene when he's trying to work the camcorder for one of the first times, that Bob has a terminal diagnosis, and he receives the news that, you know, his cancer, while they have tried a couple of different things, it's just not working, and really it's just at this point he just needs to be as comfortable as he can because they're not recommending any other treatments that it, the, the last treatment nearly killed him, I think is what the doctor said, so recommends not not going any further with that. He definitely at least wants to live to see his unborn child, so he starts recording the home movies to kind of share his experiences and his wisdom so that his child will have some record of him and some memory of him. Moment number four, Mr. Ho in the Ukrainian wedding. Bob starts visiting a Chinese healer, Mr. Ho, on Mr. Ho's advice and his wife's advice. He does end up going to his brother's wedding in Detroit and attempts to kind of reconnect with his family, visits his childhood home. Most of his attempts here are unsuccessful and ends up arguing a lot with his family and kind of leaves feeling like, I think he even actually says, you know, almost doesn't leave and says, I, I didn't resolve anything here. Like nothing got resolved. So they return to California, disappointed and saddened by kind of that unsuccessful reunion with the family in Detroit. And Mr. Ho, as, as we go along and continue having some of these treatments with him, and kind of advises him to make sure that you are confronting this, this fear and this anger that you have and do it soon. You, you don't have a whole lot of time left. Through the middle part of the movie, we have some, he continues to make some of the home videos you know, recording life lessons for his son, how to shave, how to play basketball. And he confronts one of his childhood fears by riding a roller coaster. But he he still can't, all the kids are telling him, you got to put your arms up in the air. It's it's better if you put your arms up in the air and still, still can't let go of that fear. So he is holding on the entire time. And I will just say quickly, I don't tend to put my arms up in the air when I go on a roller coaster either. I'm, I'm a little too, I'm not a small person and I don't know that I trust those bars that they have in place to, to hold me, especially especially if it's a ride that will go upside down. Like if it's if it's not a ride that goes upside down, then I'm probably okay. Maybe put my hands up in the air. But if this thing's going to do any kind of loop to loops, I'm I'm holding on to that bar. I'm not I'm not a hands in the air kind of person. This is not one of the three questions, and this is quasi interrupting the major moments. But are you a hands in the air kind of person on a roller coaster? Yes. Okay. But in the loop-de-loops, you don't really have to keep your hands up at that point. Most people don't. Yeah. It's so yeah. like when you're going upside down, it's natural to grab. But then when you're going ahead, if you're doing a drop, like a street, like that's when you do hands up. That's kind of when the pressure mm-hmm. is to do the hands yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't do it on the loop-de-loops. It's natural instinct. Like you're going upside down to grab on. Yeah. But when you're going down on something in a sitting position and not flipping yourself upside down, then you tend to be like, there you go. Yeah, I, I'm thinking like a lot of the loop-de-loops. I you, I haven't ridden coasters in a long time, yeah. and I'm still upset that Great America took out the greatest roller coaster of all time, and it's not there anymore. But that's beside the point. That's I'm not bitter or anything. Which one did they take? But out? Shockwave. Oh, they took out the Shockwave. 
the, the, sh- the shackle oh, yeah, has been gone, I think, for a decade. Yeah. yeah. Oh, has it really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, like that, the greatest. That shows that shows how much I go to Six Flags. That was <laughs> right when we went Crazy there on uh, probably now in high school. We went there on Physics Day, and I had a friend of mine that blacked out on Shockwave. Yeah. yeah. See, Shockwave, you got it. See, and that's the thing. I needed to grab on to keep my head in the corner because otherwise, yeah. you just bounce it off the yeah. harnesses, and it yeah. it it hurts. So I I dug Batman. Oh yeah. And then Dennis, like you say, Shockwave. Raging Bull is good. I really like Iron Wolf. Oh, I do like Iron Wolf. That's a good one. I really like Iron Wolf. Batman was my first roller coaster that I ever read ever. I was really like unsure of that yeah. until eighth grade. And then they're like, dude, Tanagallo, you're going for the eighth grade trip. They're like, you're going on roller coasters. And yeah. then we got there and Batman had just, I think, come out that year. Okay. And of course, because like 89 Batman, I'm like, yeah, I'm riding Batman. And so, and that was when the line was like three hours long. And uh, like, so I'm sitting there for three hours, just sweating it. Just like, oh my God, what am I, I'm an idiot. Like what, you know? And then of course it's like, yeah. So anyways, can you, roller can coasters, you, can you ride a coaster backwards? If it goes back, like my dad would get really, even yeah. on a train, my, the my Eagle dad would, would do that. Sick. They did that for the Eagle a lot. Cause they, there was Six Flags San Antonio. We went there one time. I think I was in hmm. high school and we went to San Antonio for something one year and we went to Six Flags and they had, it was it was the Batman ride, but they had recolored it to be purple, green, and yellow, and it was the Joker ride, and it was the Batman oh. ride. It just the whole thing you were going backwards the whole time. That is cool. Yeah, that is really cool. My dad would have been sick. Like he couldn't. My dad couldn't even ride in a train going backwards because it just I don't know something about it threw off his his equilibrium, and he would just get sick. So yeah, he he didn't join yeah. me on that one. But I'd like to think I'd like to think that I could ride backwards, but. Yeah. We just recently were at like an indoor water park and we were on the big family tube ride. And like, it, it wasn't like totally intense. Like I love riding the water slides. I love the tubes. And as it went down, it like turned backwards and I went backwards. I didn't even, it wasn't even like, dude, I'm going to gut it out. Like I just completely got sick. Like I got off the tube ride. I couldn't even walk straight. And it's like the first time it happened. So I'm yeah. like, Oh my God, what, what just happened? So I, so you asked that question. It's pretty interesting because just recently, just recently I rode one, it rode backwards and it was, it was not good. It was not a pretty picture. So we major moment number seven, Gail does give birth to their son who they, they go through a series of names. I I thought the Z names were kind of fun. Zeus. And then they start going through what was something like the, the Z names. And then they go through the like Roman and Greek gods. And then they go through the biblical names and, and uh, yeah, I like the what was the Jehoshaphat? Nah, something skinnier. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. do go. They do go with the name Brian, and then Bob's condition at this point does worsen as the cancer has spread to his brain. So it's kind of at this point in the movie where their child has been born. You know, he we see that he has grown just a little bit. So he does more than just being able to see the birth of his son. He is able to spend some time with him. And then there is that one scene where they're in the the baby's bedroom at night. And as they're leaving the room after laying the baby down, he does kind of collapse on the floor. And that's when we find out that it has spread to his brain. Hospice care is arranged for him. And he makes his final visit to Mr. Ho, kind of discussing the idea of the life of the self and, and talking about this light that he's see, seen nearly every time he's gone there. 
Moment number eight, the hospice nurse arrives. Teresa is her name, played by Queen Latifah. Bob's health deteriorates, and that kindly that finally kind of prompts him and Gail to tell his family about what's going on and, and just how bad things have gotten. And this is where they ultimately end up reconciling, and we have some some very sweet moments where his family comes to visit, and he makes peace with them and just has some some wonderful moments with with his dad and with his mom and, and the whole family. Number nine, the final moments and the circus. So Bob's childhood wish is finally fulfilled when a circus is set up in their backyard. I think his brother helped arrange it and his his parents wanted to make it happen. We have a really nice scene where his father is helping to shave him. Bob tells his dad that he loves him and kind of they they finally get that moment of acceptance and peace because they had not had a, a good relationship going up to this point. And then finally, major moment number 10 is his passing and memory. Bob passes away peacefully in the presence of his family. And there is kind of a scene where we show Bob riding on the roller coaster this time, releasing his grip and enjoying the ride. And then we see, I think it's supposed to be about a year later or so, Brian, his son, and Gail are watching a video of him reading Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham, making sure that his memory is kept alive. So. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about as we get into deep thoughts. I mean, we can go back to and talk about some of these moments from the movie, but let's go on into deep thoughts and we'll kind of talk about how we how we felt about this movie. And now, deep thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? I like it a lot. Wow. It's very deep. Thank you. Okay, so I kind of wanted to start maybe a little bit differently because I think I, I would imagine that all of us like this movie. No, nope. but I, oh, you, know, you don't like it. I love this movie. Okay, all right, that's I, that's what I kind of figured. But I will start with because I made a comment at the beginning, and and you kind of you were a little surprised by it. I said I thought this was a sad movie, and you kind of I think it, it seemed like you were a little surprised by my take on it. So let's start. No, with that. Actually, do, I'm do, not surprised by oh, your take on it because I know a lot of people take that, and yeah. that was the typical. I, so I, I used to show this movie to eighth graders Yeah, uh, back when we had a class called personal well-being and it was about relationships. It was also about death. Like we got to talk about some pretty deep kind of interesting stuff and explore that stuff. And, and, and we would show this cause it brought a lot of stuff up. And I, and I remember asking kids when this was over, what was this sad? And, and, and some kids would kind of respond, yeah, this was sad. And then it was like, well, other people were like, well, there was moments of sadness, mm-hmm. but I don't feel sad right now. And I should, because he died. And I said, and we explored why don't you feel sad, you know, knowing that like like there were sad moments throughout the film, but the end result was not it was somewhat uplifting. It was somewhat hopeful. It was not like oh my god, I'm crying and I need to leave. You know, uh, like you weren't depressed. You were, and, and and that was the response that I was always looking for from kids in a certain way to see how they would. It was great to see kids respond like that, and then try to work through why they feel that way. And what it came down to was. He says it in the film, if death is a really hard way to learn about life and about living, and he says, you wouldn't have known me. I would have been busy all the time. You would have grown up angry, and you don't want to do that. 
And basically, there was his father kind of worked all the time, and there's that connection there. And, and he was basically becoming a lot like his father in a different way. His father worked at a junkyard. He worked at a, a PR firm. But at the same time, they worked all the time. And he was saying, I would have been that same thing, and I never would have known you. Like So I, I think that's the sadder thing is when somebody lives to be 95, and they're just miserable, angry SOBs. That's the sad thing. That's the saddest thing possible is that you had not don't confuse years with quality and all that. So that's kind of where we used to kind of move in that direction when kids would kind of sort through stuff and, 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 you know, and, and the other kids are like, Oh yeah, it kind of makes sense now. Like, yeah, what, because that's what I said. What if he wouldn't have had cancer and he was just been a horrible father, you know, and he worked all the time. They get divorced. He's miserable. He's distant all the time, and the kid grows up hating him. The kid like like you don't know anything can happen. But I'm saying like that's a that's a path that unfortunately a lot of people end up taking. And I'm like, here he said this really sucked, but at the same time, this is the happiest I've ever been, and here with you right now. And and he got peace with family. You know, you got that closure. If he would have never got that closure. Had he lived, his dad and mom would have died at some point, mm-hmm. and he never would have got that closure. So there were, and that's again why I like Ruben's work is he's he. he I don't know if you know his backstory. I used to look into him because I was like, oh, you find somebody that you like certain movies. You're like, I like that tone. Yeah. I like the way this guy writes. Ghost. He's got a certain feel to his movies, you know, and and I and I I remember looking into that, but he he was a guy who actually went to a mon- to the Buddhist monastery and stuff and lived there for a while, and mm-hmm. and he really you, you could see the Buddhist sort of philosophies through a lot of the stuff here, and and this whole idea that life is something that teaches us how, or death is something that teaches us how to live, and that it's uplifting in that sense, and that's why he sees the movie as uplifting. He doesn't see it as mm-hmm. he goes. It's only sad if you. If you, you don't fully grasp what death can teach us and, and like people think they want to stay in the middle, like there's birth and there's death and we try to ignore those two things and we just focus on the middle and we deny what happens in culture, that these things exist. And he says, if you embrace and you understand death, then you truly live. And and that's kind of a sort of a, a like a theme throughout the movie. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I think, I think the reason... Because I, I would agree with you on on that he he needed to have this experience for him to have lived as full of a life as he ended up living in just those last few months or so. I think what makes it sad for me is more of a personal connection to it because we were watching some. I, I had been as the summer had kind of started off. I had been trying to go through and digitize some of our old family videos and things like that. And we've, we've told stories and we have videos and, and things like that. And, and I'll put on the videos, you know, that, that have my dad on it. And my daughter, who is 12 years old, she commented as I was putting on some of the videos, she just kind of was sitting there watching it. And she just kind of said, I, I don't actually remember him. And like that, that watching this movie, that part kind of made me sad as well, because I'm like, I know my dad and I know all the memories that I have and I know all the stories we've told and I know how how much fun of a person he was and, and such a big personality that he was. And while he's doing, and I know that that comes up in the, in the movie too, while he's doing all these videotapes to leave something behind for his kid, that's what kind of makes me a little sad at the end is that, yeah, this kid has all these videos of his dad, but that's never going to replace the dad actually physically being there because I I think of like, oh man, I remember all the times that even though my daughter was maybe four when my dad passed away, maybe five, 
you know, I remember all the times where he would hang out with her and, and take her places and they would do things and all this. I remember all that. She doesn't remember any of it at all. Like, and especially the older she gets, the further away she gets, she remembers less and less of that to where all we have are some of the old photos and videos. And so I think that was the part that when the movie ended, I got all the other life lesson stuff and, and the reconciliation with the family and everything else. But I think that's the part when I stepped away from the movie at the end, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm glad his kid has these videos. I'm glad that he had this experience being able to reconcile with his family, being able to live, live that fuller life with his wife and actually be a good husband and, and let go of, eventually let go of some of this fear and anger and everything else. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, and, and that's, he's got the videos, but that's not going to, his kid is not really ever going to know his dad. Like, he'll know his dad from the snippets he has from these videos and from what his mom will tell him. But in a lot of ways, that's not a substitute for him being there. So that's where I think it leaves me a little sadder than, a little more sad than hopeful, is yeah. just because of that personal connection to it. I think if if I was watching this and if my dad were still here, I probably wouldn't have that same feeling and reaction to it. So I, I wanted yeah, to ask and that, you. And that's, oh, yeah. that's not, that. like, again, I... I I, every time I watch this film, I, like I feel like I go through a different thought process and a lot yeah. of things, but yeah. is because I watched it. We had what, how many it was eighth grade. I think I had two classes for two years for five rotations as part of the rotations. So I saw it numerous times and you got a lot of different opinions from kids. Right. And, and that is exactly what you said is for kids who identified more with the child, mm-hmm. they were sad yeah. because they're like, he only gets to see his dad. He doesn't get to bounce on his lap. He doesn't get to go do play, throw, play catch with him. You know, there was all the things that the kid is going to miss. Right. I, as the adult, was looking at it from the perspective of, as a father, he got to at least, to, you know, he doesn't get those things, but he also, like, and as a person, the kind of that other flip side of it, right. like all the things he did get to resolve. So, yeah, if you're looking at it from the perspective of the child at that point, it's, it is sad. Mm-hmm. He's never going to fully get to experience his dad in the way, but at least he has something. So there was right. a little bit of hope there, right? you know, and, and the way it's done is you're not watching a video of your dad. You know, the kid isn't watching a video of his dad, like doing something or just, he's actually talking to him. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of a different vibe of just watching photos in a photo book or whatever, you know? So there is a little bit more of that connection that, Hey, given the really horrible situation that just happened, it's the best case scenario for everybody other than him not dying of cancer. Right. But him dying of cancer, this is the best. This is a win-win for both of them as much as you can get. Like mm-hmm. that. I remember really great discussions, man. It was actually really good. I mean, that's why I said I missed that class a lot too. Yeah. I was very surprised at some of the stuff like, you know, kids brought up and, and you'd, you'd have great discussions about that. Cause it would literally go first full circle. Like I said, you'd counter it where this kid's saying, well, he's sad because the kid doesn't get this. And this person's going, yeah, but he at least gets the dad talking to him. Some people don't get that at all. You know, even if the dad's there physically, really great conversation. So this, that's why it's a great, that's why I've always loved this movie. Yeah. You see a lot of your own life and stuff into it. I mean, we've had family that's been distant from each other for so many years over stupid stuff. And, and, and to get to, to get to see that moment where they kind of, the, the fight is great, you know, where they where he's filming at the wedding oh, yeah. and after yeah. the wedding, I mean, it's so real. It's like, Oh, you move Bob Jones. You don't like my name. You don't like, <laughs> there's that you've, you've been in those, I've been in those sort of rooms before. And it's like, it's heavy. And there's that pent up fighting over what, you know, and who's going to be the first to, to let go, you know? So, and, 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 and they, neither of them would have, but, 
the cancer sort of forced them to. So, right, right. Pat, what are your thoughts? And I, and, and I like I know I, I I'm very curious to see what Pat's take on this too is. Because again, I know well, you've been affected. You've been affected personally by some things, obviously. And I was wondering when I remember we said we we're going to watch this. I was one of my thoughts was how how is how is Pat going to experience this or handle this or? Yeah, yeah, guys. You know how you guys just know how much I love talking about my emotions and my feelings. So this <laughs> is going to be really this is, <laughs> is going to be really wonderful. Do you want to just talk about the, the scenes in the toy store when all the bouncy balls come out of the container? And uh, you want to just talk about those parts? Yeah, yeah, that'd be like, and, 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 and dear heaven, I'm not, boy, the next thing I'm going to say, it's, it's everyone listening is going to be Ken Gallo just dodged the question. What a tour de force for Michael Keaton. Yeah. Like, and I mean, was this one of his first like semi, well, semi, was this one of his first serious roles? Maybe not first, um, but, it, yeah. but as, Ish. but my gosh, he, he just can bring, he can just bring such a humanity to this that brings all those things out that like I'm laughing, I'm crying. I'm like the videos were priceless. Like when he's trying to talk, he's talking about the music. And then when he looks at him, he's like, okay, sex. <laughs> Nothing. <Nope. laughs> and then it clicks yeah. off. Uh-huh. Handshake one. The handshake one was yeah. fantastic. The handshake yeah, ever one. Carrie, ever since Cary Grant, no one's been able to pull that off. Right? Yeah, no one can pull this off. Yeah. And then it's like you can start. You can do here. it. Do it. You can. You can. You can start bringing it yeah. all the way up here. Like you started as early as want, but here's what you don't do. I mean, just breaking those, breaking yeah. everything down. It it, it it it's just awesome. And uh, so it's one of those things. I, I think grief and sadness and all that it, it affects people differently and takes people differently. And and you know, it's one of those things that like death comes for everybody, right? Nobody gets out of life alive. The hard part is when it's someone that perceivably goes before their time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's really interesting too, when I watch this movie, because in the last couple of weeks, it's, it's been pretty interesting. I watched the movie interstellar. I don't know if you guys have seen interstellar. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Amazing movie. And it kind of gets into family dynamics and relationships and it not, it's not about death, but it's, but it is, I mean, it's so that I had that perspective going on. I was just listening to a recent Jocko podcast and he had Dr. Peter Atia. I think I'm saying that right on there who was talking all about the themes you guys are just talking about life. How do you put the most quality into your life? do we focus on death? Do we learn how to deal with death? And it's something that we kind of ignore and pretend like we're never going to die. And so there's, so, and he just said, and, and the discussion was wide ranging between how to be the most physically, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually healthy to face death on, but then how do we deal with it? And all the emotions that were kind of going about that. I'm, I'm reading a book. It's a firsthand account about a, a person that fought in Iraq. And then after coming home, died, was, was, was killed and it was tragic. And so that perspective was going, so it's funny because in the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking in and about death from all different perspectives and then this movie. And so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I find a lot of in this just sad, sad that the family became damaged to that point, sad that he was being taken before his time sad about 
about all the situations that just to give you a laundry list that we're seeing in the movie. But then the uplifting part is, hey, there's still time. We're going to get this right. You know, that scene with his dad at the end. Um, oh, God. If you don't yeah. cry during that, I don't think you have a man. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, going in for the ultrasound, like when he goes back to the, when he goes to the, on the roller coaster and all those things, talking to his kid, doing what he can. I mean, and it's funny because like I, in the last couple of weeks, especially, like I said, this, the, the Jocko podcast where he talks with this, that's one of the things I'm like, like, man, I gotta, like, I gotta, like, do I write a letter? Do I record a video? Do I record several videos? Do I like, how, what do I need to like, because it could be gone tomorrow. Like, what do I got to get ready for my kids to make sure that's all in place, you know? And so that's the, like the uplifting part is like, he did realize that he did realize it and, you know, make amends as time, but tried to correct his life. And I can say, well, I don't have cancer, so that's not me. Luckily I'm doing, but it's like for whatever I've got left, like, let's make this right. You know, is that as big of a deal? The thing I was pushing off, maybe that's a bigger deal than I thought. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so like those were kind of my thoughts was the movie was great because it was kind of instructive. I'm like, okay, like what perspective am I bringing to whatever situation I'm dealing with in my own family? And it's, it's like just seeing those things. I'm like, oh my God, like that's what I'm going through now. You know, I hope I have more than a month, but that's one of those things that you don't. That's like that he says in the thing. Like he says in that scene, hey, a tree could fall on me. Hopefully not a big, I get hit by a truck. Hopefully not a big truck, you know? Yeah. And he's doing yeah. that little thing of like how it could just end like that. And he's saying it earlier, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's so, it's just like a, yeah, it's just how we treat family, how we deal with family and, uh, you know, everything down, like how I'm interacting with people in my house. And it's, and it's funny. Cause like I said, I've just been thinking a lot like, Hey, you know what? death is at the end of this like and i'm i'm thinking about that a lot especially because of everything i've been watching and listening to and reading in the last couple of weeks so i don't know if i fully rejected your question or just rambled on about it but yeah it was it it, it was sad i mean i i i do experience sadness when watching the movie and then the uplifting piece was that hey for the time he had he tried to do right by everybody right you know i i don't know how much the movie really went into like the afterlife spirituality side of things. But I thought that scene where like the last scene was him on the roller coaster, mm-hmm. putting his hands up. I'm like, yeah. Oh my gosh, that was such an incredible scene. And uh, you know, which then had me thinking a whole lot of thoughts about like, okay, well, what is it? Do I, what do I really believe <laughs> is and, and how do I believe that? And, questioning those things so yeah yeah everything you guys said so tell the listening audience sorry they might want to bump the fast forward button for a couple of minutes when i start talking because everything you guys said was like right on you guys codified or codified that's the wrong word you guys you guys gave words to all the different angles and ways to look at this movie and and analyze it and, and the perspectives and yeah the personal perspective does matter you know i think it does and especially like with kids you know I'm going to say the perspectives that people have are different on watching it and and no one's right or wrong. It's like, it's just a very, you internalize this movie in so many different ways by based on your own, where are you at in life? 
what role are you in? You know, what is your family like? What is your family not like? You know, all, there's so many factors, life, death, that get thrown at you. There's, it was just that it's a lot of topics thrown in there. So it's always interesting when you walk out of this, what do you take from it? What are the parts that resonate? And often I find kids would ramble sort of the same thing. Like they had stuff that they needed to say or wanted to say. And then quite, it's just kind of interesting and how that perspective was. One of the key things too, we talked about relationships and it was just about how perspectives, like I think the, the, the scene with the brother, well, mm-hmm. Bradley Whitford, yeah. right? Uh-huh. I think, yeah. Or he's like, they're, they're on the, on the, they don't know that he has cancer yet even, but he's having that conversation. And at one point he says like, they're not going to be around forever. And it's like, here he knows he's dying and he's saying mom and dad aren't going to be around forever because he doesn't know yet. But he talked to, there's one part where he says, he goes, see, now here's, here's where we differ. You know, I love you and all, but like you hated dad because he worked all the time. And I saw dad as a hard worker and appreciated that. And I was like, bam, like what an eye opening perspective of how like two boys growing up in the same family, but one is like, I respect my daddy. I know he works hard and that's what he took away from that relationship and had a close relationship with his dad. And the other person was like, you weren't there for me. And he looked at it as like, you worked all the time and you weren't there for me. So he had this anger and this resentment for that. Two boys in the same household going through the same experience with the same father, yet their perspective shaped the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that was a conversation we used to have with kids about like how your perspective and where you're coming from on that you could be experiencing something that somebody else would totally experience in a different way. And that's the, the, the interesting thing about your perspectives and questioning those sometimes and, and looking at them, are they, but yeah, there's just so much in there. And I'm, I'm shocked that this movie did not do well. Although I think it went up against Mrs. Doubtfire opened up with Mrs. Doubtfire. So you're like, geez, <laughs> that's not a good, that's not a good opening weekend. You want to see, go see Robin. I think he phrased it one time and you want to go see Robin Williams and drag, or do you want to see Michael Keaton die <laughs> of right. cancer? Yeah. It's like Friday night. What are we going to see? Yeah. You know? And he's like, ah, well, so, so I was, was going to ask you guys because I was listening to the Ebert, the Siskel and Ebert review of this movie, and Siskel said Siskel said that he enjoyed the movie and that everything that Ebert had a problem with actually caused him to connect with the character better. Ebert's take on it, I want to say he only gave this one two and a half stars, mm-hmm. and his take on it was he thought that the the humorous parts of it, like he thought the little scenes of like you know, the, all the, all the balls falling out of the cage at the toy store and all that other stuff. He's like, I don't know. I don't think this movie knows what it wants to be. Is it a comedy? Is it a serious drama? He's like, I don't know. I don't know why they decided to put in these comedic moments because it's a drama about somebody leaving behind a legacy and, and about to die and all this. And I'm, and I'm sitting there and going, well, Ebert, a lot of times I agree with you, but not this time. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't feel like, first of all, I don't feel like you cast Michael Keaton if you're not going to have some of those quirky comedic moments. Somebody, Ruben said, he goes, the one thing about Michael Keaton is he's got such a range. He can go from being this yeah. funny guy, compassionate, and he could be an asshole. So all three of those things. And he's like, and, and that, there's parts where that happens throughout the film. And it's, 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 he does. And none he does of the comedy job. and none of the comedy in this. And I, I don't. I don't want this to be a diss on Michael Keaton because, I mean, my God, the guy's on a different level. Like, I could never act. I can't act, period. So much less w- what this guy can do. But none of the comedy portrayed was extraordinary. It was comedy that was, yeah. like, Dennis, you pointed out with the situations, was very real. Those yeah. things could day happen in real life. Like, that's day-to-day comedy. It's not like a... I, 
um, things make really close bark. naked gun or any it's not like a that kind of thing right. it's like a real life and so I, I guess my question well to the to the reviewer that you mentioned and what was was it ebert yeah mm-hmm. okay and and my i guess my 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 follow-up question would be it seems like you're almost kind of not seeing the forest for the trees like you're so into the construct of the movie what's the bigger picture being made here do you know what i'm saying and then my question would be and I, this sounds targeted so I'm, oh my gosh i'm not trying to go after the guy but i mean it's like well then is it is it something that the movie hits so close to home that you need to be a little bit more technically mm-hmm. kind of analyzing because it just hurts so much and you just want to because i'll be honest i felt the same way like honestly when this movie came out dennis you're gonna laugh is i'm like i can totally see where dennis loves this movie I, I could talk, I was picking pieces out. I'm like, Oh my gosh. And then as it started to hit closer to home, I kind of wanted to do that too. Oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the music or I'm just going to think about this or, Hey, this doesn't look right. Or, Hey, I wonder what the, that, right. and, and it really was, I went through this for like five minutes. I was watching it just trying to go through those things because I didn't really want to sit down. And, and like I said, okay, here's one more piece of multimedia that is concerning with that. Like, I just didn't want to do it. Right. Yeah. And then after a few minutes, I'm like, man, Michael Keaton is just amazing. Yeah. And then it was just like, I took a deep breath and it's just like, and I, I was just blown away. So that would be my question too, is, is it kind of like, you know, this, as a society, we don't necessarily talk much about death and the emotions that yeah. go into it. And I mean, we all kind of want to be the, I'm living forever. And, you know, Sure, it'll get me, but not with like all that kind of stuff. But to sit sit and really think about that and be like, dude, I am upset. I am, you know. I mean, and how you got, I remember when my mom looked at me and when it was like a week left, and she just looked and goes, "God, Patrick, this just sucks." <laughs> and she's like, yeah. she's like, I'm gonna miss, and she started going off like, I'm gonna miss the kids with this, and and that was her. And I'm just like, and again, it gets into spirituality and 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 all that, and. Yeah. I, I have a belief that that she is seeing those, but be that as it may, yeah. it's easy for me to see. I'm sitting across the couch. I don't necessarily have to face that yet. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah. You know what I'm saying? So again, I don't even know what the heck I'm talking about at this point, but I wonder if in the review and in, in if like, why didn't this movie do better at the box office or with the crit? Hey, I can't deal with this. I don't want to talk about my emotions. Hey, I'm doing a movie podcast. I want to talk about like the next motorcycle jump and whatever. So it's, I'm just going to talk about the, the mechanics of the movie and this movie didn't know what it wanted to be. And then I don't need to talk about like what my connection is with that. Well, and, and I mean, I think, and I wonder, and I'm, yeah. I'm writing, a, I'm sorry, John, I'm, oh, yeah. but I'm writing a lot of backstory. I, dear God in heaven. I don't know if that's what Ebert was like. I don't want to assume yeah. that, yeah. but I could understand like, because that clicked for me. Like, I'm just like, Hey, I'm just going to talk about camera angles and stuff. So yeah. yeah. Anyways, I rambled. There's, on a enough, great, there's a great story. There's a great story for that. Ruben says like in one of his, like he has all about his movies and stuff. And he talks about this one and it sort of says about the part where, yeah, I wish I had thought of that before, you know, the whole Mrs. Doubtfire release time and all that stuff and making the movie. He said, the reviews are brutal. I felt like such a failure. And then he goes on to tell this really, like, this story about it. He goes, then one weekend, some months after the film came out, he goes, I went to a wedding, and hold on, my eyes are burning. <laughs> I went to a wedding, and the woman there was said she wanted to talk to me. She pulled me aside and said, my husband died of cancer two years ago. I have an 11-year-old son, and he could not talk to me about the death of his father. 
About a month ago, I learned that I have terminal breast cancer. I was told that I have about six months to live. I knew I didn't want to leave this world without having a meaningful dialogue with my son, but I didn't know how to do it. Then we went and saw your movie. During the movie, my son cried and cried and cried. When we got home, he crawled into my lap and we had a long talk that has made it possible for me to leave this world. I want to thank you for that. He goes, that was an amazing moment. That was an amazing moment for me. I realized then why I had made this movie. I made it for her and for her son. And that was enough. And I just think that's just an amazing story. And it's like, yeah, it's a good, like he didn't care about the money. He was talking about how, and he, and the reason I've always liked Rubens because he has this philosophy sort of where he said, he said he started late. So there's that kind of inspiration. He didn't hit till like, I think he was 47, 48 and we, with ghost and Jacob's ladder and all that stuff. And I think he directed this one first at 50. He was almost pulled off the set for this and almost cause he was going off like, like schedule, I think, and things like that. But at some point he was talking just, just about the whole, I didn't want to just go. I, I, I don't like making movies to just go and make a bunch of money or his worst was he goes, I actually hate the people who have something where they take you to a dark place and keep you there. And he's like, because I feel like, why did you just do that to me? You know, there's a, one of his writings. He says something about that as well. But yeah, it's just a, it's like his philosophy on that, where he wants people to feel things. He wants people to think things. And who cares kind of what the box office is? He lives in that real world, but he's just like, he, he kind of wishes he was back the indie sort of filmmaker where you just got to do that. And you'd have to worry about, hey, here's 20 million. Don't blow it, you know? Yeah. Oh, the Michael Keaton thing. One other really quick little tidbit here. Because again, I remember all this research from before when I had show this. Michael Keaton actually had, I, I based on his description, there was one scene where they kind of got into a little bit of a disagreement because it was, I think it was the, the scene with the crane at the probably at the, at the amusement park, which I think is a beautiful scene and beautiful score. And that moment where those two with everybody just walking around yeah. and looking at them and just looking at two people who are just happy to be alive together. Cause he was like, this is my death day. I should have been dead by now. Right. Living on borrowed time, babe. And then they do that pan and the music. That is just such a beautiful scene. But he, Michael Keaton didn't want to do something like that at first. Apparently I can't really quite get it. I, but based on the fact that there's a crane, I'm guessing it's that scene. And then eventually he said, you were right. And they ended up doing it that way, the way Ruben wanted. But uh, here's why, here's what, uh, here was the thing with Michael Keaton saying why he did it. Oh, he goes, he goes, uh, he goes, the Ruben then went to Studio Brass and made a pitch for Michael Keaton, who turned down two other big budget scripts to do my life for the first time director. What attracted him to the material? There's a scene in which Keaton, speaking to the video camera, tells his unborn son how he met the boy's mother. And it's a love letter from all men to all women. And after we shot it, Michael came over to me and said, that scene is why I did this film. So that's the one where he's like, the whole talks about how he met her and, and she had this enough, enough and the whole thing. And it's just a great, so yeah, yeah it's just, I, I, that's one of those, one of those movies that does, it does what, like what it meant want to do is make people feel stuff. And I think it does it in a way and you have the right characters in there, the right people playing it. There's enough drama. I think the balance of fun stuff makes him more likable as the movie goes on which also then feeds a little bit into the, you know, God, he would have been a great dad, but he wouldn't have been a great dad if he didn't have to, you know, it's a, it's a catch 22 because he might not have been ever a great dad. He might've been this workaholic dad. who was an because he had that element at the beginning. You see how he kind of sometimes talk to people and then they do that examine light video at the beginning and nobody had anything good to say about him. Really? They're like mm-hmm. trying, yeah, I'll talk about his charity work or whatever, or something like that. They'll like that. It was like, he was an ego sort of driven high profile business guy and he probably would have been a probably maybe a crappy dad, you know? And then in the end he became, you saw the elements of what he could become. And, and that's sort of sad because he won't get to do it with the kid. 
But at the same time, you got the experience where you never would, which is sadder, never getting to experience those moments or getting them for a brief amount of time. I, I wonder if movies like this, you know, we talk about the box office and it almost looks like, I don't and Rotten Tomatoes isn't obviously the end all be all, but it seemed like critics scores were lower than audience scores on this. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And Rotten Tomatoes is like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's kind of it's surprising, and especially because of, like I said, the acting talent and just the writing thing on display. But what do I know? I'm a simpleton. Anyways, my point is, I wonder if movie theaters aren't always the best venue for this. And I know there's like such a stigma because back in the day it was direct to video, right? If someone would direct a video or whatever. And, and, and everything is geared towards box office, box office, and, and all that kind of thing. But I, I wonder, this is the same year that, like, Jurassic Park came out, and I'm trying to think of all the other movies that we did right now, and I'm drawing a complete blank and all that. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking of everybody that you, you can get to the movie theater every weekend and twice a weekend and, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm going to see all the movies out there. But if it's like, hey, I'm only going to get to, like, three or four movies, you know, like... Pat Canigello, I love this movie, but you know, what was the movie that this year, what am I getting to? Dude, I have got to get to Mission Impossible. Like, I need to get to that one. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, if I saw this, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to definitely check that out. That looks incredible, but I don't know if I'm necessarily going to get to the, so I I don't know. It's like, I think, I just wonder if I know that like, there's the whole streaming slash theater and, and I know like, the movie gods will come after me if I say maybe movies theaters aren't the best places for certain movies to get an, a gauge of how people will like them. But like, I just don't know if, do, do you guys get what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. you said, it's like, a, it's like a date night. It's this, or I'm taking my kids out or whatever. I, I, I don't know. Box box office numbers are not a good indicator of whether it's a good movie or not. No, which is why yeah. to, your, to your point, if this were to come out today, I feel like this would be a Netflix original or an Amazon Prime original or something yeah. like that. And I yeah. feel like that might be a better place for some of these dramas because I may not, if I'm going to go, and that's kind of my philosophy with going to the movie. I love going to the movie theater. But yeah. if it's more than just me going to the movie, I'm looking at spending upwards of $100 or more to take yeah. the entire family to go see a movie. I'm probably not going to do like a, a period piece drama type movie if I'm going I'm going to a movie that's going to take full advantage of the speakers the screen the everything and I'm going to go to something that has explosions and a big soundtrack and all kinds of other stuff that's what I'm going to save my movie theater money for but I have I've seen a bunch of great smaller budget or or dramatic or historical movies on streaming that otherwise I wouldn't have gone to the movie theater to see them and I think partly with the pandemic, I mean, that's, I feel like a lot of people with the pandemic, like upgraded their home theater stuff. And I feel like at this point, yeah, for some of these movies, if this were to come out today, I feel like this would come out as some original programming from one of the streaming services and it would be awesome and it would do really, really well. And you wouldn't have to worry about somebody saying, well, the box office numbers weren't so good. So it must've been a flop. Right. Who cares? Right. Right. I, I, and I, and I, and I told but you no, oh, you I'm as an no because mine's slightly off that but go ahead but oh, go okay. ahead well, and, I, no i was just gonna say because that gives the movie what it is like man hey let's go out on date night 
and watch this movie. It's eight o'clock at night. Or, hey, Dominic, I, I want to talk to you about that. Let's let's do that. And then, okay, the movie's done. Let's just head back home and go to bed. Yeah, like, no, man. I want to watch this movie on a Saturday morning and then have all afternoon to, like, go walk through the woods or go swim in a lake yeah. or go watch another fun movie or talk. Do you know what I'm saying? It's well, because box, like, box office-wise, this movie did not do well, but the cinema score, when you poll people that actually are leaving the theater – by God, they went to go see a movie of, of Michael Keaton dying of cancer, and they mm-hmm. came out from this movie and gave it an A on cinema score. Mm-hmm. So clearly yeah. the people yeah. that went to go see this, they knew what they wanted to see. They knew what they were going to. They saw it. Yeah. They loved it. They walked out. They, they gave it a, a really high score. And that, to me, almost means more than how many millions did it make in its opening weekend. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I really... what I was saying was the flip side, like I know I and I totally see what you're saying. Like it's not it's not cheap to go to movies unless you go on like those discount Tuesdays, which I try to do now more often. So you want to go and get what's gonna give you the best bang for your buck, what's gonna take that that big screen appearance and feel and the sound system like that. I get that. So you're going for those big blah but but I actually love to go to see movies like this. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's a wonderful not it's a wonderful life. It's a beautiful life. Like I remember seeing that. Yeah. And the reason mm-hmm. I think that one is actually maybe one of the first ones that really hooked me on that. So I actually seek out these type of films to go see at a theater because I'm by either by yourself, tick even if you're with somebody, you're by yourself. You're in your own seat separated. You know, you're not like talking during the movie. And you get to just process it, and there's no distractions. That's what I love about these. I don't want a distraction in a movie like this. I don't want the phone ringing and me answering it and pausing the movie. I don't want my kids coming in and asking me something that's not related to it. I don't want to have to go get a snack. You know, like I want to be in this and just grip for it and like have to face the thoughts that it rises. So I love these type of movies where it makes me think like that. So I do love going to this experience. And I, like I said, I just do it on days that are, you know, Right. And I'm not, but I see your side because that's how I was. But then once right. I, I started thinking like, it's so great to be in a theater with only 15 people mm-hmm. or 10 right. people. And we're yeah. all here because we know this isn't Marvel. And this right. is a movie that might make us think, and it might work and it might not, but we're going to give it a shot. We're going to give this guy who has something to say, you know, and one of the things that really, really, it's just another thing from, from Ruben he goes, yes, part of me is an indie filmmaker. Part of me is an indie filmmaker who would like to run around and, with a video camera and work 20-hour days like we did in film school and open people to things that they would not have been open to before. The other part of me wants to make films like Lawrence of Arabia. But ultimately, whatever kinds of films he writes and directs, Ruben does feel the need to be responsible. Many people's lives are based on the movies they see. And I, as a Hollywood filmmaker, have this incredible access to a mass audience. I have two hours to talk to the world. I want that two hours to be a personal expression, not a corporate entertainment, not corporate entertainment, which is which is empty entertainment. It's a meal without nourishment. I want to find new ways to get the old messages across. And then they said, what old messages? And he says, the messages of why we're here and where we go afterwards. Life is a journey during which we're striving for some kind of completion. And in movies, we cheer for people who try to attain completion. Think of Rocky just wanting to go 15 rounds. Yeah. No, I, and I and I hear you. I hear you totally. And that's and, and please, I wouldn't say, hey, take these out of the theater. It oh, yeah, was no, not no. my point at all. But and John said it. John said it much more eloquently. And I, I hear your point. And it's funny because like I I needed for me, I needed to pause this movie and I needed to think. Then I needed to go back and rewatch a section like I, I it, and it's just all how you everyone processes and where they are and all that. I just think that to 
judge the point and John said it to judge a movie by opening box office weekend numbers or, you know, like how many people, well, box office numbers, I guess I'm just saying that judging a movie, how good it is based on the box office, I think is, is incorrect because of exactly what you said. Like, Hey, you like to be in a theater with 10 people that are all there for that. Well, that is not like a packed theater blockbuster going around the, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, this movie is geared more for an intimate experience. Okay, that's fine. But then let's look at it more holistically. Let's wait a year and then look back and say, okay, well, what were the rentals? What was this? How many people picked this up back in the nineties from Blockbuster? How many people are streaming this on Netflix? How big was it at the box office? How was, I just, I just hope. From kids that saw that movie and and, and kids can be brutally honest in a lot of things. I'm telling you, I had. Just like when I, I mean, the movies I showed, I was pretty lucky in that I got great response and, I, and they weren't doing it just to get an A because I, like I said, I think that part of the generation is like, they're, they, they're going to tell you if they don't like, say, that is stupid. You know, mm-hmm. um, this movie and The Cove and all these ones that make them feel something, they, they're not used to that. A lot of kids aren't used to that. And when it made them feel something, it, they felt that it was powerful and they felt the, the, the script of that. And I never had kids who didn't, who, who didn't like this movie. And they said it made them think a lot about a lot of things. It kind of led into our little eulogy project where you, what do you, what would people say about you? It went into some relationships that you need to heal. Is there any in your life or in your family, your friends that you feel like little stupid things are keeping you apart? So it was, it was a great, just, catalyst for a lot of personal reflection and thought it's like it's like they said mm-hmm. it's the examine life is it you know is it what if you examine your life what is it like and what are you doing the things you want to do but really quick too just because you're saying about him being obsessed with death there was a quote where they they brought they go would it be fair to say that you're obsessed with death he says no i'm obsessed with life but if people don't have a sense of how life ends then they don't have then they don't have a way of living all your decisions about what your life is about have to come from acknowledging what life goes towards, what's it, what it ends in, heaven or hell, nothingness or somethingness. If you keep putting off the decision or if you keep saying, I'll find out when I get there, then your life is lived in an unknown space, a world without value. In the past, the religious environment used to dictate, only daily, or dictate daily choices. Today, we live in a world designed to distract us from choices. Ruben hopes his movies will make people less fearful of death. I want to make it seem more of a transition than a blackout. My movies are like entertaining sermons. For some, they might even be better than going to church. So definitely a Buddhist philosophy guy. You see where he, he was actually friends with, I think, Scorsese. And he like, went to school around the same time in film school. And he said they went out to go make these huge blockbusters. And he went out to a monastery, Tibetan monastery somewhere. It was there in, the, in, in, I think, Nepal. And then eventually they thought he was a CIA agent or something. They thought like they weren't sure. So they like tell him you got to go. And then he went back to the United States and was making movies and writing stuff still. So you see that spill through his work, that kind of philosophy. And that's Hang S. Nora's role in this. The guy who's like the seed of all like into one. And that last moment, you won't want this anger and let go of the anger. And there's just so many good scenes there where he's like, oh, guys tell me I'm angry and a bunch of bull. <laughs> And he, he's clearly angry as he's telling him, he's, guys tell me I'm angry. I'm, I'm what is he talking about? <laughs> Not angry. I, I think it's a well-played, a well-played role. It's just, it's, it's a great film. Yeah. And that moment, those two, like in that, with that pan shot is just, man, God, I love that pan shot after the roller coaster. They don't have to say anything. And everybody's reactions are perfect who are walking by. If you watch that scene over again, you'll see people who stop and look. Because I was always curious, what do you tell the extras to do? Usually you tell them not to interfere with the scene. 
Well, in the scene like that, if you saw two people in the middle just kind of almost dancing to their own music in their own head together, just in like an embrace like that, how are you not going to glance back and look? Right. So when you look at it, there's a lot of people who kind of smile and kind of look at them and even point to their spouse or whatever, just like, oh, look at these two. You know, if you watch that scene over, it's like it's a it's just a perfect pan. So if that was what the argument was about with him and Keaton initially, like you said, in the end, they said that they did the right thing. And like it is. I, I love that scene. I, anything else we want to say before we jump into three questions? Go see this movie. Yeah, great, great yeah, movie. If you haven't see seen it, it definitely wow. see it. Bring some Kleenex. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, the room gets very dusty. Oh, the circus, man. Where the circus isn't better. When he leans over and goes, better late than ever. Yep. Oh, my God. Jeez. Jeez. Genius. <laughs> he asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Speaking of the circus, question number one, what is your favorite thing about the circus? And this is circuses in general, not just the circus in the movie. I would say like the acrobatic trapeze type of stuff. That's always super cool. I'd love to be able to do that, but I, you know, not happening. Yeah. I think it's pretty amazing. I like the motorcycles that ride around in the cage. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you would. That's pretty cool stuff. <laughs> that would be your favorite, wouldn't it? It would be. And I'm going to say something I'm going to, I'm going to say too. I love listening to circus bands, especially from back in the day. Like, like, they had just monster players that would be playing in those bands. Cause you're just like playing all the time and it's all like crazy music and fast and intense. And, and like, so the guys that were playing, you know, some of the great, some of the great musicians, some of the great trumpet players of all time, like came, came up playing through the circus bands. So uh, anyways, I, I think that, uh, I think circus bands are, are pretty darn cool too. What is the, I was just trying to think of it off the top of my head. There is a movie in which don't they call the the motorcycle in the in the cage like the globe of death? I think so. It's like the official name for it or something. Could be. I feel like there's a movie where somebody is trying to get some cash and at the at a circus they're like, "Yeah, if you can do this, if you can go around one time, then like you win this much cash." And they're like trying to get some cash so they can travel somewhere or do something. I, do you guys know what movie I'm talking about? It is called Globe of Death. No, no, I feel like there was a movie because my next question, my next question, Pat was going to be, do you think that you could get inside the Globe of Death and ride the motorcycle around? No, I'm not good enough to no. do that. <laughs> okay, I don't. No, I, I don't like. Like, if you said, "Hey, go get your bike and get going," I'd be like, "No, that'd be an yeah. unmitigated disaster." Oh, okay, but uh, but I like I don't even know, like how those guys, gals, I don't know how they train for that do you know what i'm saying like i would is it the place beyond the pines ryan gosling 2012 it says in the 2012 film the place beyond the pines ryan gosling's character performs a global death stunt with two other motorcyclists no it's not that i have because i have seen, seen homer homer and bart save springfield by recreating the stunt yeah no i feel like there was another one i feel like there's another movie i maybe it was the 
I don't know. Maybe it was the Homer Simpson one. Nine bikers injured after Globe of Death stunt goes wrong. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of the Simpsons movie. Oh, because he's trying to win a truck. Because they're I think they're trying to like they like leave home and have to go and he's he's like trying to win a truck because they don't have their car anymore. So okay. Maybe it is the Simpsons movie. Yeah. So okay. So there's no hope for me if Pat can't do it. Then yeah. There's there's no reason for me to even try. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I maybe maybe I'll start with a bicycle or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. What's yours, John? What is your favorite part of the circus? I it's probably the acrobats. It's probably the the flying trapeze okay. stuff. It's yeah, I was I was trying we were talking about this at dinner and and my wife and I both remember, of course for me it was in Dallas for her. She remembers it maybe coming up here to like Lake County Fairgrounds or something like that. The Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus. I remember that coming to Dallas oh, and I remember us going to that and you know, growing up, other than when I finally got to go see that actual circus, one of my favorite circuses was in the beginning of the movie Octopussy. Uh huh. Because I was, I thought that was so cool. Like a guy gets shot out of a cannon, and you got lions and yeah. elephants and all kinds of other stuff. And yeah. no, I, I think for I me, think... probably like the the flying trapeze stuff. Yeah, as a kid, it was animal. I would have said animals if I was like eight or ten. It yeah. would have been animals right away because I love animals. And then you start realizing, well, that circus life is not a good life for the animals. Now it's like, yeah, no, yeah. I think they actually yeah. banned that. I think the Ringling Brothers doesn't use animals anymore in there. Yeah, I, I, I thought they shut down. Are yeah. they still going? I don't because I, 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 know, I don't think they're. It still was going. a couple years. What was that? I don't think they're still going. No, because I want to say that my in-laws got us tickets to, they wanted to bring all the grandkids a couple, four or five years ago, um, maybe more now, but they wanted, because they were like, hey, this is going to be the last year for the right. grandkids. It says, on May 18th, 22, after a five-year hiatus, Field Entertainment oh. announced that the circus for Bring- Ringing Brothers would resume touring in the fall of 2023, but without animals. That's what oh, I remember yeah. hearing. But they stopped, no animals, yeah. no more animals. Yeah, if you go to their... Yeah, if you Mark go to their website, that, uh, that, oh, so if, if you want to take your family to the circus, they're going to be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on October 13th through 15th. Yeah. Hmm. I think it was a smart move. You got to get rid of the animals because that was a big drive for a lot of people not going. You're like, I can't go and watch that. Yeah. You know? No. Yeah. No. There's too many things made about it and in too many cases. And yeah. Yeah, it, it looks like I'm I'm looking at their website now. It looks like a lot of the acrobatic type stuff, some different stunt yep. things, a little bit of some of it looks a little bit like a Cirque du Soleil kind of thing. Yeah, clowns will be there. All that other stuff. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I already we already know a few people that their answer to this question would not be the clowns. Yeah, man, I'll tell you. I remember <laughs> I we went. I we went one year. My grandparents would take us. We went one year and the ringmaster was like being driven around and it was like on one of those, almost like one of those trucks that kind of has like the scaffolding that they go up to change the lights. Uh Right. Like, like he was sitting on that and like he was being driven around and the way the lighting was, the lighting was focused on, on the ringmaster, Uh but then the person driving him around was a clown and the way the lighting hit his face, it looked just, it looked just so evil and it freaked me out, especially because that was when the remember Batman the animated series. Oh yeah, was go and I remember that that was going on, and it was right about that time there was some I can't remember what, but there was some episode where some road rage driver like yelled at the Joker was driving down the road, yes. like, "Hey buddy, why would you cut me?" And then all of a sudden the head turns and you realize it was the Joker, and the guy was like freaked out and everything. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what this clown looked like. But it, you couldn't clearly see his face, and man, I'll tell you, that freaked me out for months after that. So, yeah, dude, I yeah, I 
I don't know the clown clown deal. I don't know. That don't is know. that is one of my favorite episodes of Batman the Animated Series, the Joker's favor episode. Okay. okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. When he a little little bit of road rage and he kind of like shakes his fist at the Joker. I think when they're when they're driving next to each other and yeah. Yep. Well. Pick the wrong card of pick the wrong card of road rage on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Question number two, what was your favorite toy? So there's kind of the fun scene. He goes back to his childhood home, freaks out the people that are currently living there, but he has his parachute guy stuck in the bricks of his mm-hmm. old childhood home. What was your favorite toy you had when you were growing up? We had a similar parachute toy guy. So we had something like that as well. We had those, which we loved. I think we buried it somewhere. I don't even know what we did with it. But my my favorite toy, I, I guess I would probably go back and say, the one I think I was the most excited when I got it, the one I played with, it was the $6 million man. Oh, yeah. So you had where you can look through his eye, and it was like a zoom. He's that one eyeball. Oh, and like uh-huh. He had one strong arm. Like it had all these little features on it. And like It was like really cool, but it was the $6 million man. It was pretty big, pretty decent size. Was it like, cool. was it like uh, Barbie-sized? Bigger than that. Oh, okay. So like not like old-school G.I. Joe, but a little bit bigger than that. And you could look. I remember the box and everything. It's crazy. Yeah, I'll have to show it, send it in the chat or something. But yeah, if I would have kept that thing, $240 to $310. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, wait, the Bionic Arm one, which is the one I had. Let's see, that one says box 1700 Oh, there you go. <laughs> Tough to find on the secondary market. Yeah, so that that was, I I was super excited when I got that. We were fans of the show, and then I got that. It's like, oh, $600, man. Yeah. It says any child who grew up in the 1970s either had this figure or wanted to have it. This was one of the iconic toys from the 70s era. The Steve Austin figure came with a telescoping eye that would lo- allow you to look through it in the back of his head, along with a super strength. The feature allowed Steve to lift up to two pounds by pushing a button on his back and even made bionic sounds. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Wasn't that the one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. the spinoff of that show was the bionic woman, right? Woman, yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, such such great just great television. So I'm I'm fortunate enough that a lot of mine I actually have on a shelf right around the corner. There it uh, is. Mine are mine are gonna be the Star Wars toys. Yeah. And I still have uh I still have a, at least a shelf or so of all of my originals from the very early eighties. They're they're not in great shape because they've all been played with. None of them are in their mm-hmm. original boxes, none of them are worth <laughs> what they would be if they were in their original boxes. I, I wish mm-hmm. I still had my my collection got decimated by several moves and several garage sales in which I was forced to sell a, a decent portion of what I had. But uh, yeah, at, at one point in time, I had I had so many of the the Star Wars figures from the early '80s. I had oh god, I had the I had the Ewok Village. I had the Millennium Falcon, the X Wing, the Tie mm-hmm. Fighter. The what did I have? I had like two Jabba the Hutt play sets. I had I had a Rancor, and uh, the fun thing about my Rancor toy is I actually got one of my Han Solo figures stuck down the Rancor toy's throat. Okay. So whenever I played, he'd rattle a little bit because Han Solo was stuck inside. Okay. So, no, I'd I'd, I'd, I'd go I'd go with the Star Wars. He Man would be like a very close second because I had a ton of the He Man toys, and then as a little bit older kid, I would have gone with the Ninja Turtle toys because I had a ton of those. Yeah, those are those are cool. But I gotta I gotta go with the the old school and the ones I still have over here. I'll go with the Star Wars ones. Yeah. Oh man, it's it's hard. So I I got really into the Transformers cartoon. 
And so I remember when I got Optimus Prime and that was like, that was like a, that was a cool toy, man. Like his Optimus Prime, he had his trailer, it transformed. That was like, my parents were like, okay, do you need to look at the directions for that? Or, and I'm just like, no, cause I just go, uh-huh. you know, and like you, you can you make the noise. So I dug, should, yeah. yeah, you make, you gotta make the noise cause that's the only way to do it. But I mean, it was like, I thought the Optimus Prime character was cool. I thought the packaging was cool. Like the little pictures of all the different guys. And yeah. then you, you held that little red thing up mm-hmm. to the, to the, that, that gave you all the stats and stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I was always into all the, the cartoons that were like the, the, the anime adjacent cartoons, uh-huh. right? Like the Voltrons and oh, yeah. Transor Z and all those kinds of things. So I, I thought the Voltron was cool. Cause you know, you could, and I can't remember if you bought them all together, if you, I, if I had to piecemeal them together, but you got the different lions and then you could put the lions together and then you had the big guy. And I always thought that guy was just really cool looking. And the other thing is the other thing was, was the die cast. Like you'd get toys that were like die cast metal. Yeah, like, metal. Okay. Oh, yeah. And it was nice. And Those I had, were- I had, and my favorite show at the time was the Dukes of Hazard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a, I had a die cast metal general Lee, their, their charger. And man, that, that, my gosh, like that thing, I just played for hours, you know what I mean? And then I also had, you know, like this, this metal, it was like an Ertle made like, like different airplanes. Right. And I had this like a 10 warthog, right. Metal plane. And I, it's hard because I mean, we didn't have a, Hey, you get a new toy every week. You know, it was kind of like, a, okay, what do you want for your birthday or what do you want for Christmas? And that was like the one. T- so I remember these toys vividly because like I didn't have like all the different Voltron things or all the different Transformers. So you had to kind of like combine toys from different, they, you know what I'm saying? Or like you might have Voltron, but then like the bad guy, you had to like find some sticks and like use sticks. As, do you know what I'm mm-hmm. So. I don't even know what I'm saying at this point, other than it's hard to determine because each one of those toys kind of was like a different part of, of the childhood. Yeah. Well, that, and that mixing matching of toys got awkward because I had all the He-Man toys and sometimes I had to find a way to, you know, I had to find it. I wanted to incorporate all the toys. So all of the heroes of the Bible action figures that my grandma would get me. Yeah, that's it, right. It, that's got right. A, it got a little awkward because I'm like, I don't think Skeletor can beat Jesus. I mean, I just don't feel yeah. like that morally and, and ecumenically should happen. So I feel like this is really a one-sided battle here. And, and I, and I don't yeah. really know like what kind of like superpowers I'm going to have Jesus have in this. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I, oftentimes they, they, they got incorporated together and I'm like, all right, I guess we'll have, you know, Jesus and David will, will fight Skeletor and <laughs> Mumra. Yeah. 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 That's, that's cause that's the way it is. Right. No. And, and it's funny because like a buddy of mine and I, we'd always like, get together and then just we'd have to combine toys hey you got that bring this over you got that bring this over or and then we call it the ultimate gang war because it was just all these mixed and matched guys would Mm -hmm. you know do the thing and so when ready player one came out i remember this this buddy of mine texted me it's like you realize this movie is like basically what we used to do when we were like 10 Uh on 11 and all this kind of stuff and it was it was because it was like okay well like the GI Joes just jumped into the general Lee and then drove after the whatever in into space and like all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I still remember watching ready player one, the movie. And I, I think I've commented before, like there were certain things that I like much better about the book. There are certain things I like much better about the movie. 
but I mean, there were moments, especially you get to that last teeny tiny little spoiler here for Ready Player One, the movie. You get to that final battle in the movie, and I just I felt like a kid on overload. Like I was like, mm -hmm. wait a minute, hold on. There's you got there's the Iron Giant, there's Godzilla, there's the DeLorean, there's the Glaive from Krull. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. You know, the other thing I do too is I would make because I'd never find the toy that I really wanted. Yeah. So I just get plastic models mm -hmm. and make those, and then I play with those, which you're not supposed to do. Right. But I play with those. So like I had a one of the the Enterprise. I had a oh, whole yeah. bunch of World War II airplanes and all. Oh, I used to. And I would yeah. like. Yeah, you make the plastic model, and then it's kind of like, okay, I'm making the toy. What do we got? What's coming our way? What's coming our way? So there's a reason why there are a lot of pieces missing. Yeah. Because this was a yep. model that John built and then played with maybe a little too rough. Right, for those who right. can't see, I'm, I'm showing the 1989 Batmobile. That thing still but just yeah, looks so there's, cool. Uh, there's a few pieces missing here because it was lovingly, yeah. lovingly played with. Oh, and I got to be honest, and I know this is going to sound sacrilegious to some. I know that in my folks' house that they sold, like, years ago, in the back garden, they're they're going to be, like, rototilling the garden, and, like, and they're going to find, like, a stormtrooper leg and a G.I. Oh, yeah. Joe upper torso, and there's going to be, you know what I'm going to say? I mean, they're probably going to find little bits of X-Wing from when Luke crashed on Dagobah because uh -huh. Dagobah was in the garden in the back. Like, I know so when he starts opening up the spot and finds the parachute soldier hidden in there, I'm just like, yeah, you know, I know I've got stuff. Oh, canonically, I, I created a, a stepbrother for Chewbacca because my parents had, we had, at one point we had a, uh, I think it was like a Dodge Ram van, and it was like the full-size right. van, and it was the one that had like the, the ladder that you could climb up on the back so you could get up under the top of the van. So right, sometimes right. Oh, I would yeah. just, oh, yeah. I, sometimes I'm like, I just, I need a moment away from my little sister and my little brother. So I'd climb up on top of the van and I would just play up there. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember one time I left one of my Chewbacca toys up there and I went back to get him. He, he was there for like a day and a half. I went back to oh get him God. and the sun had turned him green. So at nice. that point, and I had a couple of Chewbacca figures anyway. So at that point I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to pretend this is like Chewbacca's green brother. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No. I remember when I got, I got Dominic into generation one transformers and that's yeah. suddenly all he wanted for Christmas. And he loves dinosaurs and we oh, love yeah. dinosaurs. And he's like, he wanted the Dinobots. And I'm just oh, like, yeah. Oh my God. Like, where do I find Dinobots in 20, 2015? And it was like, Oh, let's check eBay. Yeah. Oh, look at that price. Uh -huh. Let's not, you know? So it was, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's funny stuff. Okay. So real fast question before we move on to question number three, I have seen lately, Pat, I've seen a bunch of videos online of these, I don't know if they're newer Transformer toys or not, but they do all the transforming for you. So I've heard about you've this. seen these? They're like hundreds of dollars, and they're like, mm -hmm. they're, they're pretty big. And like, you, I don't know if you push a button or you give it a voice command or something, and Optimus Prime will do the time to roll out, and he'll, yeah. and he'll make all the noises, and it'll transform back into the truck or it'll transform from the truck into his his more human form mm -hmm. would, would you knowing you're a big fan of of transformers if you had the disposable income for it would you drop the hundreds of dollars for the transformer that would transform itself or are, are you more of the no man i'm i'm doing the transforming myself and i'm gonna make the noises so I, that without getting too farther into the question of okay do i 
what do I have as far as collectibles or what am I just like, I don't need more things in yeah. my life. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if we're dodging that, if you're talking like, if you're talking like 10, 11 year old Pat, 12 year old Pat, I mean, you are, you like, are talking to a 42 year old guy that has an entire wall of star Wars toys over here. So, and, and, and again, take, take that again, question like, however you want to. No, no, no. And again, I'm not, I don't mean to judge. It's just the whole like, okay, oh, what I, do I, I want to, I've got a whole bookshelf of books that I've read once or twice just because I like to have, do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I, it's just all becomes that, that whole thing. I mean, as a, like me now, yeah. Like if I was going to put like an Optimus Prime, like, yeah, that'd be like totally cool to have this thing that transforms and all that kind of stuff, but it would be on a shelf. I don't necessarily know that I would like get down and play with it. Yeah if I was going to play with something and like a kid, Hey, I'm going to like take this and play with my, you know what? Yeah. I kind of want the old school. You know what I'm saying? I want the old school. Like I want to transform it myself. That thing was awesome when it came out of the box, but you know, like people might look at me and say, yeah, but you still buy physical media, dude, get with the times. So that transforming one is pretty cool, but I, I like to have, maybe I'd need both. I'd have one that I play with, with the kids. The other one sits on the desk. Unless All right, there's wait no a knock, minute now. You're not going to get a knock on physical media from me. What about, hang on a second. Is it remote control? Can I drive it around, hit a button and transform it and then make it walk? There like I, 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 you know what I'm saying? Then, then you've hit a whole different level. Yeah. See, and now I'm like, what about a life-size Optimus Prime? Cause that gets into Truckosaurus. You remember Truckosaurus? Oh yeah. Yeah, the actual transformer that would eat cars. Yep. Dude, see, I'd like to have a truck of source. So I guess my, all right. So clearly you can see I've been very clear with my answer. <laughs> so I don't think I want to talk more and confuse the issue. Sure, yeah. But I'm just, I'm just saying, man, that's yeah. pretty cool. Truck of source is pretty cool. So is Optimus Prime. Yeah. Optimus Prime is pretty cool. Lord Helmet, what? You need it on the bridge, sir. Knock on my door. Knock next time. Yes, sir. Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good. Oh, man. Final question. And I realize this, this especially when I asked this question to my family, this is a bit of a challenging question because then I realized, you know what? Actually, I don't know that I've seen a ton of Michael Keaton's movies that I wouldn't also classify as comedies. So... I kind of mm -hmm. narrowed down my own options. So if you, I don't know if you need me to, if you need me to amend the question and just say, tell me what your favorite Michael Keaton movie is, I'm totally fine with that. But the original question, if you want to play this on hard mode, the original question was, what is your favorite Michael Keaton role that is not a comedy or superhero movie? Well, for me, if, 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 if I'm going to play on easy mode, I shouldn't even need to like answer the question. Oh, I know what your because, answer is for easy like, I was going to say anybody that's been listening to the podcast uh -huh. knows the answer to that, but playing it on hard mode, I'd have to say, you know what? First of all, I feel like, especially after seeing this, I want to go see all of Michael Keaton's movies, but I think one of my favorite serious -er roles is when he plays Ray Kroc in founder or yes. the founder. Yep. That's, that's actually my answer too. Okay, there you go. And then I'd say, well, I'll let Dennis answer, and then I'll say like my my runner up. But yeah, the founder, he is he is so good in that. My my two answers that I would love to answer, I just haven't seen those movies yet, and I I'm probably going to have it on our list for next year. Are the two movies where he plays somebody working for a newspaper. So for next year, I think we're probably going to do the movie The Paper, 
because that one came out in 94 and so many good people in that one. And then spotlight, the one that came out just a few years ago. Okay. You know what? Did did I change your your vote? Yep. That's, that's my answer. Okay. You can, you, uh, that we'll get that up there. He is. That is an incredible movie. I still have not I, seen I it yet. It's it's on my oh. it's on my list of movies to see, and it's it's been on my play on whatever streaming service it's on. It's been on my playlist for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say yeah. Founder is good, but yes, yeah, Spotlight is Spotlight okay. is amazing. Yeah, you will. I'm I'm sure, Pat. If you haven't seen the paper, you'll probably enjoy that. I have not seen it. But okay. Just just knowing who's in it. It's directed by Ron Howard. It's Michael Keaton, Glenn Close, Marissa Tomei, Robert Duvall. Yeah. Wow. So I, that's another one that's on my list to see that I haven't seen yet. Dennis, what about you? What is your favorite favorite non-comedy, non-superhero Michael Keaton movie? Oh, man. See, now, is this movie considered a comedy, the one we're talking about now today, My Life? I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I, don't think, I wouldn't consider My Life a comedy. See, so I would probably put that as number one. However, okay. I'm rejecting your question. That's fine. I would then go maybe if I had to be forced to pick after that, I would probably say the not because I haven't seen the founder. I need to see that. Yeah. I would say the the cleanest sober for dramatic role. Yeah. And then I love how you got Johnny Dangerously. You got jeez, man. Gonna Johnny Mizuka. Dangerously is a comedy, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why I reject this uh, question. Yeah. And then the Dream Team. If you guys haven't seen the Dream Team, that's a oh, good yeah. one. That's got uh, Christopher Lloyd, Peter Boyle in there. That's a great one. Oh, man. And then, uh, but I guess I'm going to, oh, Gung Ho is a comedy, dang it. Because Gung Ho is also really good. Mm -hmm. You ever ever see Gung Ho? That's a Ron Howard one? Not, no. Mm -hmm. You haven't seen Gung Ho? No. What year is that one? That one is 1986. Mm -hmm. Plays a foreman trying to keep an auto plant open and ultimately gets his American employees to work in concert with the new Japanese management. So it's like the whole, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a good one. So I guess, I don't know. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say my life. Mm -hmm. And then if I got to go still dramatic, I would say the cleaning is over. Okay. Mm -hmm. My, my, my runner up was going to be Jackie Brown. I I like his character in Jackie Brown. Yeah. One little side note that's funny when he's doing the roller coaster in this and, and you're, they're playing the chariots of fire soundtrack, uh-huh. which I love big shock. Yeah. I was like, you know what? He, he's in another scene. They play the chariots of fire theme in Mr. Mom when they do the foot race. And yes. I'm like, Oh my yeah. gosh, this guy too. But then I went back and I listened to it. And now, it, and now I'm wondering if it's the, maybe it was a YouTube edit. I don't think so. It's not Chariots of Fire and Mr. Mom. Oh, really? At least when yeah. I listen to it online, okay. it's it's like a it's like a like a knockoff. Oh, okay. it's like a sounds like Chariots of Fire, but we don't have to pay you the royalties kind of thing. Sure. I'm, and I'm I, now I'm wondering if it was like just a YouTube thing, but no, I. It's I, like a it's it's I, like the kids' I, bop version of Chariots of Fire. Yeah, it's something like that. It's it's got like electronic background and a piano kind of. Okay. melody repetitive piano melody but it's not sure to fire yeah but it was funny because when i saw that i'm like oh my gosh here's this guy's been this this guy has been in in two movies with the chariots of fire theme and you, you know yeah michael keaton incredibly talented guy. i mean god feel juice it's just oh. yeah and he started off on mr rogers i know i saw that yeah yeah he did yeah. Did you ever see that i think he narrates the special on it Oh, there's a special on Mr. Rogers and he narrates. He's like the host. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. I forgot what, what that, that one was. Yeah, but that's a good one. Yeah. 
I need to go back and listen to, I know he was Chick Hicks in Lightning Between what's it, Cars. Yeah. I didn't Hard realize hair. that he was the Barbie voice of the bar- Ken doll in Toy Story. So I, I got to go back and watch, I don't know, it's really? probably what, Toy Story 3, 3 and 4 or whatever, that, mm-hmm. where Ken doll comes in. Yeah. But yeah, he, was, he voiced that one and I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Oh, that's cool. Oh, well, that's going to do it for this episode. You can hit us up at 30podcast.com is our website. That Actually, there's a spot on there that will tell you all the different ways. If you want to contribute towards episode number 500, send us some stuff for that one that we can talk about. We'll play on the show. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. Thank you, John. All right. Everybody. Glad you put this one in here, man. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we will see you back here next time.